Happy Victory Monday. Welcome to a football show. His name is Zach Lyons. My name is Braden Gall. And that is right. For the first time in nine football games, the Tennessee Titans are victorious. And they defeat the Los Angeles Chargers at Nissan Stadium in overtime with a little late downpour there with some big plays, some stars showing up when needed, some excellent game plans. And yes, Zach, not you, Zach Lyons, but also to you, Zach, to both Zachs. Happy Victory Monday to everybody. So there you have it. The SEC, no, not so much. Not so much. A lot of concerns for a lot of teams in the SEC, but we'll get to that a little bit later on. We like to focus most of our uh, energy on Mondays to the Tennessee Titans, and uh, we will do that today because we have a very different conversation today than we did this time last week. So brought to you by Sinkers Beverages and the Kingston Group, of course, our two great local and amazing sponsors Make sure you check them out, Sinkers Beverages in East Nashville. You also have Bluegrass Beverages. We'll tell you about an event coming up in case you've missed any of the shows previously. We've got a big event coming up at Bluegrass, their sister store in Hendersonville. We'll talk, talk to you about that just coming up in just a second. And, of course, Kingston Group, BuildKG.com is the website. Nashville's locally owned custom home and remodeling firm. Uh, the offense was remodeled this, this week for the Tennessee Titans, and it looked drastically the same and then drastically better. At, re- at the most important points of the game. So, Zach, how are you, sir? The folks are lining up in the comments already. What's going on, man? I'm, I'm ready. I think it's going to be a good show. I got a lot to talk about, a lot of opinions and thoughts. And just a, it was just a game that took you on a roller coaster of emotions for those that subscribe to stackinginbox.com. And we're in the game day chat. I think the only thing that we all unanimously agreed on throughout the whole entire thing, there's two things. One, that is the worst broadcasting team they could ever assemble for one game. And second, Tim Kelly was in his bag. And I don't know if he's pretty boy Kelly. He may just be sexy boy Kelly. I don't know. Just, just smoldering in his bag, smoldering hot. Well, what to your point about the roller coaster and, and we've got a lot to discuss. So we'll have a meandering conversation as usual brought to you by sinkers beverages and the Kingston group. Uh, it, it it started almost worse. The first three, the first three possessions, nine plays, three plays, three plays, zero total yards. Each drive ending with a sack, sack, and a sack. Uh, of course, two of those drives, there was a left guard that was not Peter Skaronsky. Of course, the appendectomy. Uh, but then it, they made a change after the second drive, which I think is interesting to go to Dylan Radens, who gets a ton of action, plays almost plays more than eighty percent of the snaps at left guard. Xavier Newman Johnson did not get the job done. And the offense looked completely anemic. It looked like it was a carryover from week one. It looked exactly like we saw the previous week. And on one play, and this is going to happen again later in the game on the final possession when they hit another big one to Chris Moore, but but Tim Kelly drew up the exact right play at the exact right time. And I want your perspective from what you saw at home because I we saw something different in the box. Like, we I was sitting in the press box, and, and I'm sitting there, and like, Three different people are all like, DeAndre Hopkins, DeAndre Hopkins. Easton is sitting next to me, and he's like, DeAndre Hopkins, he's open, he's wide open. And the pass clearly doesn't go to DeAndre Hopkins, but you can see the entire field. And so it's it's clear that, like, two guys are running wide open. And they took the deep shot at the exact right moment. The crowd changed. The sideline changed. Ryan Tannehill's confidence absolutely needed it. Traylon Burks hadn't made a big play all season in, in frankly, a long time, not just this year, but last year. And it felt like that call, which was more like a old school Titans max protect play action deep shot, but on like the first play, 
and he hits it down inside the five yard line to score a touchdown, and it completely changed the momentum of the game. But it was weird watching it because you could see in like slow motion Burks and Hopkins come open down the field before Tannehill even let it go. Well, I mean, first off, that is just a testament to Tim Kelly, where he is sitting there and you have now three open guys because Burks is open. I mean, Burks had steps on the other guy and Ryan Tannehill. I mean, he threw about as perfect as a ball that you could throw. It reminds me of the throw that he made to A.J. Brown in the Texans game a couple of years ago where like he just kept, it put goes in the right spot way down the field. A.J. Brown catches it and just toe taps, you know, in bounds before he goes out of bounds. Like it, it was only in a spot that A.J. Brown could make it in and it was way down the field. And this is probably, I don't know, this may be his most impressive throw of his Titans career because last week he was struggling with accuracy, struggling with, with really putting touch on the ball, struggling with zip and, and velocity. And here he comes down and he takes two tremendous deep shots but this is what the offense is wanting to be. It's not wanting to be the offense that we have seen under Ryan Tannehill. It's wanting to be something different. It's wanting to take deep shots out of heavy formations on first down. Important on first, yes, on first down. There's just it's just so important that everybody understands because it started off bad and everybody's like, "Well, Tim Kelly, this Tim Kelly, that same old offense." I don't know how many ways I could put it out on the internet, on podcasts, on these videos. They are entirely different offenses. And if you cannot visibly see that, I, I don't know how to help you because it's just so visibly different. Yeah. yeah. Execution has been the problem, not the play calls. Typically, it's been for the last two years, play calls are the problem. Execution is not. Well, unless you didn't pull it. So Alan says AJ sliding catch sideline throw is still the best to me. That's a good one. There's a couple against the. But now he's referencing the first one that I remember when you say that is actually the Niners throws. Like he had a he had a couple of the AJ that were way down the field, like outside back shoulder, corner of the end zone kind of throws. And for some reason those those stand out to me. Um, I I think what's interesting. I, I completely agree. I don't think there's an argument to be made that the offense isn't completely different. But I think. To your point about how it changed, and I think, uh, let's see here, Zach said this, it felt like that play to Traylon won the game because it jump-started the offense. Yeah, they had zero total yards gained in three total drives before that play. They go 75 yards, touchdown. The very next drive, 60 yards, nine plays, touchdown. They come back in the second half, nine plays, 75 yards, touchdown. They go bang, 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 score, score, score. So clearly it, it changed. I think Ryan Tannehill desperately needed the confidence. The crowd was basically about to quit on this team. And, and the offense sort of, Tim Kelly sensed all of that and made the right call at the right time. They then stagnated again to some degree, but it was already a game at that point. So it was sort of back into the flow. The Chargers made adjustments. They went, you know, a couple of three and outs. They had an eight-play drive that was only 24 yards. I think there was a bad uh, negative play in there. Punt, punt, punt. And what does he do on the after three punts, three bad drives, some stagnant offense? On the very first play on first down, he takes a shot down the field, 49 yards to Chris Moore, who, by the way, is averaging 49 yards per catch in his <laughs> Titans career. Uh, but I think the timing of it, the way they were both designed, I think knowing when to do it, I think sensing that his offense needs a kickstart, like there's so much that goes into play calling. It's not just the design and the execution. There's also a feel to it, right? What's the defense giving you? And I, I thought Tim Kelly's ability to sort of read the game, read his team, 
know when he needed to take the shots. I thought, you know, the touchdown calls, the plays in the goal in the red zone were much better this this week. There were three of four in the red zone last week, oh of three. They were better on third downs this week, six out of 13, terrible last week, two out of 12. Like every and obviously Tannehill 20 of 24 is, is very efficient throwing the football. So I, I just thought the whole thing, and we'll get into some of the stars because the stars needed to be mm-hmm. big, big name players on both sides of the ball, but Henry Spears, Burks, Chig, <laughs> like like they all D Hop had some critical moments too. Yes. I mean, it, yes. it wasn't like D Hop was the focal point of the offense. And and this this leads me into something that I kind of came around to this morning. Uh, as I'm writing the article for stackinginbox.com 24 hours later, Titans victory over the Chargers. It's out right now for those paid subscribers. Like the offense is visibly different, even from Arthur Smith. It's an, It feels entirely different. The way that they are structurally attacking, the way that they are using different players and all that kind of stuff, it all is different. But to me, one of the things that makes this the most different, and I think this makes Tim Kelly the most different coach on the staff, a differing point of view, is that he stood in front of the media on Thursday, and he took loads and loads of that favorite word that all fans want to use accountability. He talked about how he needed to get the ball into his playmaker's hands. And he even said he was guilty of not using Henry enough. And that, and here's what makes him different. He literally turned around and did both of those things. The things that everybody complained about in week one, he <laughs> said, I'm with you. I messed up, turned around and fixed it. How often do we hear got to coach better, play better, or, we hear, you know, uh, well, we have to find ways to do blank, insert offensive woe here. Like, we have to find ways to help Dennis Daly out. It's not all Dennis Daly. And here's a coach that stood up in front of everybody and said, hey, listen, I could have done a little bit better. I'm going to do better. Don't worry about it. And he took Derrick Henry's usage from 15 attempts to 25 attempts, from 48% snaps to 71% snaps. He took Burks from 8.8% target share to 16.7% target share. Chig to 5.9% target share to 16.7% target share. In a day where there's 24 pass attempts, that's pretty good. Considering that there's D-Hop, Tajay Spears, Chris Moore, Nick Westberg-Kinne all on the field, and including Derrick Henry. He did what you were supposed to do. And there's still some fine-tuning. Like, this isn't the finished product by any means it only gets better as time goes on and everybody including the offensive line gets more comfortable but like it's so refreshing to see a coach actually stand in front of the media take all the questions take accountability and then literally go fix it himself yeah alan says nissan stadium was a morgue until that trail on catch i can i completely agree everything was just very relaxed like the like i said uh, it was a relaxed press box. It didn't feel like the Giants. It felt like a West Coast matchup. It was just the day was kind of nice out, but it wasn't like too hot. It was just relax. Fans were just kind of relaxed. Like it was, you couldn't even tell the difference between which fans they were because it was like four different shades of light blue in the stadium, like everywhere. You couldn't really even tell. Uh, it was just kind of a chill moment until that play happened. And I and I think I started tracking it like after on that starting on that throw. And I think obviously some of this is Ryan Tannehill was significantly better. He was at one at one chunk of time during those three drives where he scored. I, I want to say he was like 10 of 12 for like 140 yards. And like the next pass was like a drop by 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 like Trayvon Wesco or something like it was, you know, like it wasn't even his fault that 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 the, the, the hot streak sort of slowed down. Um, I will say Derrick Henry, 28 touches, Tajay Spears, 10 touches. That's sort of more what we ha- what we think it should be the offense there. 
46 snaps for Derrick Henry, 24 for Tajay Spears, two to one. That feels about right. And when I'm looking at those numbers, Henry was actually more efficient on a per touch basis last week against the Saints by a pretty large margin. But what I think is interesting is I think when I watched the two players used on Sunday against the Chargers, I felt like it's the thing that Titans organization has been looking for for like five years. Mm -hmm. And and it was like, this is why they drafted Darrington Evans. This is why they drafted Hassan Haskins. This is why they drafted Tajay Spears. And they kind of you kind of saw it for the first time, like over five yards of carry. Basically, for Tajay, about five yards of carry for Tajay Spears, a couple of really critical plays in critical situations on some third downs in the second half. Did you go like, to the press conference or at least watch it today? Uh, uh, my, you're talking about Vrabel or are you talking yeah. about? I, I was not able to get over there now. Oh my God. You got to find the clip. And I know Paul Karski has it, but he is absolutely gushing in his pants over Tajay Spears and said <laughs> that if he got better blocking, <laughs> then uh, if he got better blocking, he would already have like he would have a 50 yard run here and there. He and he even goes, he does even he does even sound effects for what <laughs> Tajay Spears could do. Like it's it's amazing. It's it's you know, when we talk he, about it every so often, Vrabel just like can't hit him every time, every so often, Vrabel just lights up when talking about a player, and that is Tajay Spears yep. right now. And he's not lighting up, he's getting stiff and rock hard as well. Uh, let me ask you, about, by the way, Pretty Boy lifted seven yards per carry. He had 10 touches for 55 yards from scrimmage. That's where I was getting the 5.5. That's what I wrote down here. Um, and I, and I, it's all to me, it's all a part of a long list. A couple of critical third downs for DeAndre Hopkins. Clearly not the focal point of the offense. Henry with almost, you know, I think 20, I think 28 touches for 95 total yards. Like you probably want a little bit more per touch and you could probably reduce his touches a little bit. But again, I think basically a perfect balance of what you were looking for in a combination of tailbacks and Spears is just, you can't tackle him on the first hit. Like you just, he just, the, the jitteriness, the back and forth, the side to side, the quick bursts, like you just can't, you, 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 yeah, exactly. He's so, he's very, he's very slippery. Um, and and for, so I and think he's got a wooden leg on top of all that. And it's all it's with a wooden hard. leg, hard to run with a peg. Uh, and then, and then to your point, all those percentages you kind of rattled off, Traylon Burks makes a obviously the 70 yard pass 62 yards of that, by the way, came in the air. Chris Moore's only catch was a 50 yard X play. Chig was four of four in receptions and targets like you just kind of go down the list, even on defense. And we can get to that in a second. But Kevin Byer with 12 tackles, Simmons with a couple of hits and a sack. You got Harold Landry with a critical sack in a critical situation. I mean, Danico Autry starts the game off with a big hit like you could just it. The, the big names needed to come up big. And Mike Vrabel did say something after the game that struck me. He said, basically, he was asked, like, what did I, what did you learn about your team? And it's like, basically, that we could take a punch and that we can make a big play when we need to. And, you know, that doesn't mean you're going to do it every week. But having the that little thought in the back of your head, we're like, oh, I remember when we did it. I remember when we made the sack. Or I remember when we got the stop on third down. Or I remember when we made the big play down the field. Or, like, that kind of stuff is is right in Vrabel's wheelhouse as well. Like the psychology of, of winning and how you bake that into your preparation. Uh, I, I think the fact that they prove to themselves that they can make a lot of the plays that they've been basically, frankly, not making for eight straight games, eight, eight straight losses. I, I don't think you can understate or overstate, excuse me, how big of a performance <laughs> on Sunday was coordinator, quarterback, offensive line, stars, role players, Everybody kicker kicker hasn't missed a kick knock on something. 
you know, everything that needed to be done, they got done. And I think it's a huge mental hurdle for this organization. Right. I mean, when you're in a losing streak, the hardest thing to do is to get the win that breaks the losing streak, like any kind of losing streak. And now that it's it's lifted, the, the emotions and it was lifted at home in front of fans who have been lukewarm about your franchise for this, throughout this whole losing streak and maybe even a little bit before that. And you do the trailing Burks pass, and then this place lights up, and you can hear it in the TVs. You can hear everybody going crazy, and you deliver a win at home in front of a home crowd. It's just a lot of psychological layers to it. They can say, and people and pundits can say constantly that, well, it's not fair to really include the losing streak last week. You know, we're we're on to twenty twenty three. Yeah, right. Like, I mean, who the fuck you fooling? <laughs> like, like, let's, let's be real. They're constant. They were constantly thinking about a losing streak. And then when they lose again against the Saints in a very winnable game, you know that most players and coaches are probably thinking, oh, crap, here it goes again. Yeah. And we, we really got it. This, it's basically like watching University of Tennessee lose. If you're an Alabama fan, a win heals all wounds. And, um, it this heals all wounds f- emotionally and psychologically for a lot of the players that were here last year that are here this year again and a lot of the staff and really probably Mike Vrabel. Mike Vrabel is probably like, oh, thank God. <laughs> well, and I think it's again, all of this go like I, I cannot begin to express the vibe in the press box and in the building on those first three drives especially on a fourth down call where you get blitzed and you don't even have a prayer. Kenneth Murray just destroys your quarterback, gives him even better field position. They, I think they turned it into points at that. Oh no, they actually held him. I think, uh, or they, they turned it into a field goal. I think. Yeah. I think that was the field goal. So they kept him out of the end zone. And so the defense got, so, and we'll get to the defense here in a second, but to just to start the game as poorly as you do without your first round pick in the lineup, and to again, like know where you're at as a team and have Tim Kelly dial up that play call. And what's funny is I was watching it unfold from the press box and I saw Chig go in motion. And I thought, because they went, they did the play action to the left side of the line. And DeAndre Hopkins is kind of running a deep dig, and Burks is obviously running that, that deep takeoff. And Chig looks like he's going to break out into the opposite flat. So a pretty typical, like, you're going to fake the pitch sweep to the left, then you're going to boot around and hit the play action backside, right? Well, Chig stops, he stays in the block, and then Tannehill kind of backs up and takes the deep shot. And even I was like, oh, what are they doing here? And so I think that that the, the you can't overstate how much that changed the game. And if you look at the way the pieces were distributed, if you look at the way Tim Kelly didn't focus on DeAndre Hopkins at certain times, but on third and six when they needed him, who'd they force the ball to? They they go to DeAndre Hopkins. So I just you, I don't think you could ask for. Do you want a more dominant game plan? Do you want a more dominant performance? There will be some this year, but I think almost every single player who made a big play needed the confidence boost of what they got on Sunday. So um, and we can get to. I, I want to ask you about. Tannehill before we get to the defense yeah it's just about to say I mean nobody got a probably a bigger confidence boost than Ryan Tannehill um he had a good bounce back performance and 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 I don't even know if bounce back is the right really the right word to use because it was like a uh uh leap to the moon 
a Superman jump. I don't know what you or credible Hulk jump, I guess would be better. But like, I mean, everything was better. I mean, he goes from being the slowest in time to throw in every category to the, almost the exact opposite to being the fastest in almost in, in all the category top 10 in fastest over the Sunday slated games and Thursday. Uh, you know, he, he finally got to use some of his, and a lot of people really say that he's not that athletic. I mean, I think he's pretty good. I mean, for a quarterback, I mean, yeah, he's not Michael Vick or anything, but I mean, if you're talking about like <laughs> top half of athleticism, I think he's there and they installed a beautiful triple option um, that, that, was, that was worked great, to perfection. And he battled through that. I mean, he had a gutsy performance. He took a lot of hits. You know, Xavier Newman Johnson, the 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 stat sheet says that Andre Dillard is responsible for three sacks. One of those is for Xavier Newman Johnson. And I would I'd have to find the other two because I really think that Tannehill should be at fault for the other one. But overall, 10 total pressures by this um offensive line compared to the 12 last week. And this is a much better defensive front or what should be a much better defense than the Saints. This Brandon Staley, this Chargers defense, I, I don't know what's going on. You I mean you're talking about Khalil yeah. Mack, you know, JC Jackson, Derwin James, Joey Bosa, and you still can't you can only muster up 10 pressures. Like I get there were some critical sacks, and the sacks all resulted in drives where the Titans did not score anything. Uh, on those drives, but like at the end of the day, this I thought would have been way worse when the stats came out. I really thought the offensive line did well and they did average like they are yeah. a NFL average offensive line so far. It it, it was far, far fewer dropbacks to be very clear, like yes. there were 34 pass attempts from Tannehill last week, only 24 this week. So far fewer dropbacks. So the pressure rate might be a little bit higher than New Orleans. I'd have to double check that. But again, far more talent, far more explosive ability. Yeah. I, the one that really hit me was the, the, the stunt early in the game that just complete like Bosa goes out and underneath. And like it's like, oh, let's meet at the quarterback. And and clearly Xavier Newman Johnson just wasn't like they no. both went to the outside. That Bosa was that, I think like, that's the one they're putting on Dillard, and that's not for Dillard. Because they're either putting Kenneth Murray on Dillard or they're putting that Joey Bosa one on Dillard, and neither of them on Dillard. Dillard well, did I, what he was supposed to do. I that if that's probably true. I want to get to the offensive line in a second, but I want to go back to Tannehill because if week one's a liar, which we all kind of agree is the truth. I don't like know to, what Tannehill is. <laughs> I, well, that's what I want to know. If 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 you had, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, so clarify if if you need to. But you 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 weren't saying that the end is here for Tannehill. You were saying oh, I'm concerned it could be coming for Tannehill from like a armed talent, strength, accuracy, zip, RPMs, like all that stuff that just sort of father time eventually catches up with you. Did you lean? Do you lean anyone? Like, do you go back the other way now a little bit with your performance on Sunday? Like, where's your thoughts on that? that part of Ryan Tannehill's game. It, it was just a typical Ryan Tannehill game. Now in comparison to <laughs> the, the game on Sunday, it's a, it's a lot of people I've already seen, like are touting that Tannehill is back and everything. I, I am squarely in neutral zone for yeah. this uh, Ryan Tannehill performance. I would bet 
if like if I had to place a bet that we would see we by the end of the year we'll see more games closer to this game than we will see uh, from Tannehill the performance that you saw in week one. Like that, I mean, we yeah. we said it. You're not drinking coffee, so I can say it again. <laughs> um, that was the outlier performance, right? Like yeah. the outlier of all outliers. I'd like to see he's going to get more comfortable, but we also know that it is Ryan Tannehill, right? Like I still think that in terms of your efficiency and stuff like that, 2022 Ryan Tannehill probably with better like raw box score stats is what you're looking at. I don't think you're going to get 2019 or 2020 because that to me yesterday kind of felt like a 2019, 2020 Ryan Tannehill day. I don't think you're going to get that every week. So I'm very much neutral. I just, I need more information and to see it and they're going to get a good test, right? I mean, the Browns uh, defensive fronts coming in, luckily their Mm -hmm. offense stinks. Then you have uh, the Bengals coming in and who knows what the Bengals are right now. I mean, they, they are, they are confusing as shit. I, I cannot believe that they couldn't do anything with it. Then you got the Colts and then you have the Ravens. Those are right now. Those are all really winnable games based on this, the state of the NFL as yeah. it sits in week two among all those teams. So 10.3 yards per attempt for Tannehill. He averaged 12 yards per attempt against Green Bay on Thursday night. Of course, their last win. And you got to go all the way back to that 27 to three win over Kansas City at home in 2021 to find a game where he has double digit yards per attempt. So I think we could say one of the worst games of his entire career and one of the most efficient games of his entire career probably means they're outliers to some degree that the truth is probably still somewhere in the middle. I mean, 84% completion percentage, 123 quarterback rating, Listen, and, ten, and 10 yards per attempt is not something he he's going to do every game. So. His, his adjusted completion percentage, when you take into account drops and everything on non-play action plays, 100%. If he didn't have drops on his play action, non-play action plays, I mean, he would have been 100%. What I've noticed the most is that his average depth of target for two weeks in a row has been about 9.4 and and 9.8. It's right in that nine range, which to me is a really good depth of target. There is some bad with Tim Kelly though, that I discovered today, but you guys are going to have to wait for that for stacking the stacking the inbox.com folks. Now that's a tease. If you want to be disappointed in Tim Kelly, Go, go subscribe just to like the asset of the game. No, I know he's been, I think he's been to your point earlier. I think Tim Kelly has been the thing that Titans fans have been asking for since Arthur Smith left. And even then it's different than what Arthur Smith does. And, and so I, I think there's a, there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic about the way he has called designed and implemented the game plan so far through two weeks. It doesn't mean there aren't some parts of this offense that are limited. The offensive line is still, t- and we can get into this. I think I- I'd love to have a, I'd love to watch the all 22 of Dylan Radens before, before we, we, we have a deeper conversation. But I think on the surface, it was very clear that Xavier Newman Johnson in for the first 12 snaps and the first two drives that both ended with sacks, that th- th- it was going to be a long day. And for Dylan Radens to be even just capable of coming in at left guard and playing enough, well enough to stabilize the offensive line and allow them again, they got in there on that first drive and he kind of like the offensive line wasn't better in the first drive, but after that they settled in, they only allowed a couple of sacks. I think the rest of the game on like eight or eight more possessions. And so I, 
I think it's just the fact that he's back from the injury and able to provide some support is a pretty large story on the offensive line. Six man of the year. Hey, with DeMar Hamlin not even showing up in, in, in games and not playing, could make a case for comeback player of the year. Dylan Raines, let's get started uh, half, right now. Th- one, three quarters of a game, and you're Do already it. making let's the case. Let's get it started. Let's get it started. <laughs> um, no, I I thought Dylan Raidens did really well. You could definitely tell that the offense kind of like was able to do more things with him over Xavier Newman Johnson uh, in there. Uh, Xavier was just a liability from the get go. Uh, I hate it for him because it's a good story, but he he can't get the start if Skaronsky's going to be you know appendectomies are about anywhere from like eight to 10 weeks of, or sorry, eight to 10 days of recovery. It just kind of depends. Um, so we probably will likely see Dylan Radins again at left guard next week, but that's a good thing. And um, I think that he's done enough to solidify himself. And every time that he kind of comes in to start, he puts up a pretty good performance and, you know, He's definitely right now their sixth best offensive lineman when Skaronsky's healthy. And you can make a case that maybe he's their fifth best offensive lineman or maybe even higher. But at the end of the day, I I think Dillard is fine and trending in the right direction. And at the end of the day, Skaronsky is a guard. They're not moving him. He's not a left tackle. They right. could have already moved him and switched him. He's a guard. 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 <laughs> uh, I, I'm not there yet on trending in the right direction on Andre Dillard. I need to see a little bit more, but I think Raiden's I just, this is a weird way to think about it, but it's what, what comes to mind when I watch him at practice, which is he's just a bigger, stronger, more physical, burlier dude. Like he just looks the part. Whereas, like, even Chris Hubbard, who's, by the way, been pretty solid as a guy that was signed, like, weeks before the season started, I I think, like, there's certain guys that look sturdy, you know? And Dylan Radens is sturdy. There's some of these guys that just are just large. (laughs) They're not not sturdy. And I think Radens comes across as as physical and and athletic and all the things you kind of want. And can you shape him into a starting offensive lineman? Maybe it's possible. So um, before we get to the defense, I want to tell everybody, of course, about Sinker's Beverages and the Kingston Group. You guys know the deal on the Kingston Group, of course. Uh, BuildKG.com is the website. Don't make any big decisions about your house until you talk to them. If you're going to sell your house, if you're going to buy a house and you need some help, you know, with what's going on with that particular property, you might need to add something to it. You might want to renovate something. You might need to, you know, whatever you might want to do to, to a home. Big decision, big financial decision. Just just have a conversation with the Kingston Group. They will take care of you. I promise they'll make sure you, you end up in the right spot if they can't help you. But uh, they're the best in the business for a reason, award-winning for a reason, and locally owned and operated. Sinkers Beverages. All right, if you're in East and you want to swing by and grab some booze, they got a great selection, great allocation, great wine, great beer, f- fridge. Tons of great booze, and of course, they've got experts on staff that'll help you make any good selection for any particular event you need. Uber Eats, and if you don't want to swing by, but you're in the area, you can Uber Eats and just search Sinker's Beverages, and they'll have the booze delivered delivered, delivered exa- directly to your house. Delivered to your liver, and they'll drive so you can drink. <laughs> yeah, it's tricky. Easy for you to say. Um, now, of course, also Bluegrass Beverages up in Hendersonville, their sister store, have been serving that market for 50 years family-owned and operated as well, celebrating that 50th anniversary. Coming up on the 30th, we are going to have at Bluegrass Beverages out there in the, in the lot there where you guys did a, a beer fest, 
going to be a mini bourbon and tequila fest. It is free. So come on out. There's going to be bourbon. There's going to be tequila. Uh, we're going to be there hanging out, maybe doing some content for you. So come on out uh, at Bluegrass Beverages up in Hendersonville. We would love to see you guys. I might have some stuff for you. So just, just come on out. Uh, I'll get you some details on the time, but I believe it's around the same time as the one that you guys attended on the on uh, earlier on Labor Day weekend. So probably in that lunchtime, noon to four territory. So make sure you come on out and, and hang out with us. So, okay. Uh, Stoney says, I'm going to need a few drinks if they're going to be delivering anything directly to my liver. Okay. All right. <laughs> Stoney, you're generally very, very funny and interesting and have been in the comments spamming us for the better part of a year and a half now. I appreciate that. But I think you can do better than that one. <laughs> All right. On defense. As advertised in the front seven, eight consecutive games in a row without allowing the opponent to rush for 100 yards. Clearly, uh, the, the Chargers had no desire to really try it much at all. Uh, they knew what they were doing because they weren't going to pick up many yards. Didn't They also that. had no one that could do it. That That's also true. <laughs> um, and so the, the defense, I think it actually, the defense was kind of exactly as I expected it to be, which is an elite front seven or an elite front line that got pressure from all different places this day today, last week it was Arden key this week. It was Janico Autry and Harold Landry making plays. Um, the linebackers are still just the linebackers and the secondary was missing their, one of their star safeties in Imani hooker, their top number one outside cover corner and Christian Fulton for now. Uh, and Elijah Molden played every single snap and there were a lot of open pockets in the secondary. <laughs> so, so I, I kind of was exactly as I expected a, a great, defensive line and pass rush and stopping the run and then a secondary that's just sometimes going to have problems when they face an elite quarterback and some great weapons so uh, it was pretty predictable honestly yeah i mean i thought the i thought the secondary outside of some plays where kevin byer or kevin byer messed up and i'm just like oh kevin byer what are you doing and then of course you know the the chargers just constantly targeting trey avery which was the right move right like if you're the offensive coordinator for the chargers that's where you got targeted i mean you're talking about he was targeted every 2.4 coverage snaps <laughs> every 2.4 dropbacks he was getting targeted they threw the ball in his direction 15 times. That's 36.6% of the attempts went to one player on that defense. And they were purposely targeting him. Sure. When he you're I'm kind of surprised he didn't give up more than a hundred yards, right? Like everybody else kind of did a pretty good job in the secondary. And he still, I think, did really well for who he is going up against the skill set of the players that he's having to face and being asked to do a lot more than what he probably should be in his first game back in a long time as he was injured throughout a couple of different and missed some games and practices. I, I find that it, I find that kind of encouraging, right? Like the saints, I didn't really like the secondary down the stretch here. I did like the secondary because I thought that they did, they did some good things, right? Like, you go from being 25th and 24th EPA success rate, respectively, to 15th in both categories. It's kind of like the offensive line to me. If your secondary is just average, your defense will be good. If your offensive line is just average, your offense will be good if you're the Tennessee Titans. And they, to me, have put in now an average defensive performance without Christian Fulton, without Amani Hooker, which is key. 
and they're not using any other inside linebackers. It's, it's just Jack Gibbons, and it is who's apparently not a doctor anymore in the locker room, and um, Aziz Al Shair. There is no other inside linebacker yeah. that exists for this defense. <laughs> that tells you everything about how they want to run the defense. I find it weird that Travis Gibson wasn't inactive. I don't know if maybe he's maybe injured or popped up something, you know, on Saturday or whatever. I thought he wasn't weird that he wasn't available. Harold Landry looks so damn slow. I was so surprised he got that and sack. They got they got to stop dropping him in coverage. They they have to. And here's they the thing: when you're in a, when you're in a three four and you only want to rush four, one of your guys has to drop back in coverage, right? Like it's either got to be Harold Landry or Arden Key. And if I'm having to choose one or the other, I'm choosing Arden Key to go attack I the mean, ball and drop in Harold Landry in coverage. After watching the first two games, I think you can't come to any other conclusion because right. he cannot. It's so it's okay for him to to have lost that part of his game, right? It's okay. right now. He'll get it yeah. back. He'll get confident. He'll grow. It's the it's normal okay. the normal progression from an ACL tear and coming back and playing. But man, well, they dropped it him. Been, he looks just he looks so 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 slow. What wasn't it like a correct me if I'm wrong, but I want to say it was like a really critical third down around midfield uh, in the fourth quarter and like they dropped him into coverage on like a critical third down and of course I can't remember who caught the pass, but like Herbert connects with his receiver and he goes right around him and he goes out of bounds and gets a first down on on like a third and seven and they pick up like 12 yards. And it's like, what, what, why, why that's the moment that you pick to drop him. Anyway, it, he looked good coming off the edge. I don't think you want to be dropping him into coverage anymore. Uh, I have to say Roger McCurry's name uh, because that's what Stoney has requested. And if you make requests in the comments, we will do our best to oblige. Uh, they did. He was one-on-one on like the first snap with like Quentin Johnson on the outside and like the whole press box was like, uh Oh, <laughs> cause he was all by himself on an Island and they actually threw the ball right at him and it was a completion, but it was like a little seven or eight yard hook. And, and we all were kind of like, uh, why don't you take the shot there? You got a, You got your big six, four gazelle out there, man to man with no safety. Quentin help. Johnson's not good. I, that all may be true. The press box not know that i mean no of course we do man no, chill, chill out but know. like if you're it doesn't, it doesn't in the sound NFL, like you do. <laughs> excuse me in the nfl if you are man-to-man with no help and it is clear you're on an island and you're gonna throw at him you, you know give the big guy the the big rangy target a, an up a jump ball down the field and said whatever if it I, was mike williams i'd agree if it was someone that's good at contested catches but Quentin Johnson is not good at contested catches and Roger McCreary, he's going to stick on you. Yeah, no. And I thought he then, I thought they tested him early and he kind of lived up to, to his own. And then they were like, and, Oh shit. Trey Avery's over there. Well, let's go right. <laughs> and I will say about the one pass play down the sideline that ended up being a really long gainer for Keenan Allen. I think, I believe that was Trey Avery. I don't know if that's on the DB on that particular play. That was one of those where the play had broken down and it was a very long route. And like they were asking the, like Herbert had all day to throw. It was throw. a zone too. Like yeah, it, was a weird, I don't, it kind of looked like man coverage. And then it, yeah. I think it actually ended up being when you kind of look at it from uh, the uh, all 22, uh, yeah. or at least when I saw it on the rewatch, it looked, it looked to me like it was a zone coverage. And I don't know if this is the kind of, I feel like the corners could have played man and been all right. Maybe. I mean, they don't have those, those chargers receivers are not, elite speedsters in space right. like, that's not what they do so that could have been a possibility now that's not what the titans want to do defensively like they right. want to they're going to play their side of the ball and they're going to stay left and right and they're going to play zone and that's to me that's one of those plays that if a guy is that open in that zone scheme 
with that amount of time to throw, like that's just a, sometimes you just got to throw your hands up and be like, well, shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, cause like the, the defensive line is supposed to get home at that point, or at least move him off his spot so that he doesn't have time to make that play. So, I mean, Keenan Allen had a great game. Sometimes, you know, you, you allow him to beat you. Herbert did kind of what he did last year, which was sort of attack the holes and soft spots in the zone. And he kind of did it all game, especially in the second half. And it gave him a chance to win the game, but the Titans had another punch. And I, I give it, that's kind of where I land on, the, on wrapping up the entire conversation was that this was intestinal fortitude, testicular fortitude, whatever you want to call it. This was, they took a punch, took a punch, took a punch and had the right, they stuck with their game plan, stuck with what they wanted to do. And I think they proved to themselves that they could answer the bell. I, again, those yeah. are a lot of cliches, but like, that's how it felt watching them win that game. Yeah, it looks like in man coverage on week two, I just want to point this out. They've only they only did about 28% of their snaps were in main coverage. Sean Murphy Bunning, uh, he was oh uh he only allowed one uh he allowed zero receptions uh on one target. McCreary was one for two in receptions on on main coverage. And of course, poor Trey Avery, he was six for eight, but I mean like that poor little fella. But that's yeah. what you're gonna. But that's a good game plan on the other side. Like that's right. You if you, if you're gonna get beat, at least you know you're getting beat on one side, right? Like you know, kind of where you're gonna have to go. Yeah, it's really great for the offensive coordinator, which I did think versus the Dolphins in this game. If and if I'm looking at it, Kellen Moore seemed to do, and because I, I want to kind of circle back to this because I kind of got a little bit of shit for it. That oh well, we don't know what Kellen Moore is yet. This it the difference between Kellen Moore and Joe Lombardi is this Kellen Moore isn't going to call plays heading into the strength of the defense. They knew that they were going to throw it. They didn't worry about running it, which is why you shouldn't have played Josh Kelly in fantasy. If you did, I tried telling you, he's just a guy. I told you in three different avenues not to worry about it. Are you talking to me specifically? No, just everybody. That's okay. general. <laughs> the listeners, the listeners, the people. But to to me, it's like that's the difference between. Moore and uh, Lombardi to go back and because we were kind of like, well, it didn't really look like there was a lot of difference. Right. And then now, okay, well, we know you got Trey Avery. You allow us to go deep. We're going to keep going deep and we're not even going to worry about the run. But I will have to say this. A lot of miscommunication on by Justin Herbert uh, and the offense. I thought they looked pretty sloppy and I thought that you know, he didn't, he looked good, but he didn't look great. Like these, they're 0 and 2 for a reason. Yeah. And what's funny is the AFC standing, like take Cleveland tonight out of it. There's only two teams that are 2 and 0 in the NFL right now at time of taping. Yeah. Or in the, in the AFC, excuse me. And that, that's <laughs> there. And I said this, um, I think I was talking to Easton about this. And I, I've said this to a lot of college football buddies of mine because we're going to get to the SEC here coming up in a second. Brought to you by Sinkers Beverages and the Kingston Group. There could there is going to be years in football, and and I think that we've got one already in the SEC where defense is going to be better. Defense is the story because there's too many quarterbacks and too many coordinators that changed in the SEC that I think we're in for a defensive focused season. Uh, and we've got so many new faces in the SEC. Now there's also moments in time, occasionally, even in the modern NFL, where it just doesn't look. It looks like the defensive coordinators and the defensive minds have caught up to some degree with like the league in general. Well, there is a, there is the deep shots, right? The amount of deep shots that are being, 
that you're seeing is has gone down. It went down in 2022 from 2021, and that's because of Patrick Mahomes, right? The the deep cover two and you know having all that. It's really hard to game plan and go deep compared to previous seasons. And now I think that it's 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 getting to what you're saying. That leads into what you're saying. And I just think it comes in. I think it ebbs and flows. Like if you do something long enough in the NFL, that's what that's good. Even with great players, Joe Burrow, go on and on down the list. Sometimes eventually defensive coordinators, because they get paid millions of dollars to do, the, to do this job too, eventually catch up. And I'm seeing Cincinnati's offense look pretty ugly. Uh, you know, I just, I think, I just think we're seeing a lot of, uh, I, I'm curious. This is just a theory because it's only two weeks in and the NFL again goes back and forth where I already know this about the SEC. Like I already know the SEC is not as good on offense as it was last year. We know that about Alabama. We know that about Tennessee. We know that about a lot of teams in the SEC. They're just not going to be as good on offense. It's a defensive-driven year this year, potentially, in the conference. I am curious to watch it unfold in the NFL. Like, we've got a lot of rookies. Like, the Bears look terrible because Justin Fields isn't very good. Like, you just, like, outside of... A lot of, of defensive touchdowns, blocked punts, and yes. blocked field goals. Yes. It's a very weird start to the year. Yes, exactly. So, let's see how it plays out. It, it's just a, it's just a theory at this point, but if we get to week six or seven, and even star quarterbacks are struggling because it feels like defenses are caught up, you you could say you heard it here first because <laughs> because yeah. the first two weeks did not appear to be finely tuned offensive geared wizardry by quarterbacks. It feels like it could be a sloppy year. Like when you have just Baker theory. Mayfield and Jimmy Garoppolo somehow at the top with with the top tiers, and then you have Trevor Lawrence and. Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow slumming yeah. it with um, Zach Wilson and Justin Fields in like the bottom tier. It's a wild it, start to the season because I would have thought for sure, okay, Trevor Lawrence wasn't that efficient, wasn't very good week one. Okay, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. The Chiefs, he'll probably put up some points, just kind of how Chief games go, right? He'll put up. I think the Chiefs' points. defense is better. Yeah, they, they they're, they're yeah. way better, and they and he looked like dog crap, and I can't believe that the same thing happened over with Joe Burrow. I, that offensive line is a mess. You want to yeah. talk about a bad offensive line. The Bengals have a mess on their hands. And so this is some other, this is a good way for us to wrap up the, the sort of the Sunday. What's interesting is that Trevor Lawrence still completed basically two touchdowns to the back of the end zone and the receiver could not get his last toe down. And the last throw there at the end to Ridley would have tied the game. Well, they would have needed a two point conversion, but they would have tied the game up. So even in a terrible game against the defending champions, Lawrence still made a couple of plays where, like, if the receiver just gets his feet down, uh, they have a totally different game. But you're right. I mean, all the all these offenses are, are are acting real funky out of the gate. And Anthony Richardson scores a couple of touchdowns. Looks like the Colts are off and running uh, on Sunday. And then he goes into concussion protocol, which means he might not play next week. You've got C.J. Stroud throwing almost 50 passes <laughs> in that game. Again, the yards per attempt, not particularly high, but he does look like he's sort of getting comfortable in the NFL a little bit. So, um, I, and of course, we'll watch Carolina on, on Monday night. But it, interesting, we have questions on it, on offense in the SEC, and all those players are in the NFL. Just, yeah. you know, I want to point that out. Uh, okay, anything else you want to touch on with the Titans? Otherwise, just a, a really gutty, gritty, cliche, 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 huge W mentally for this organization. So, yeah, we can, we can I, move on. I'll be interested. I'm just ready for the Browns stuff. I'm 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 interested to kind of watch the Browns tonight, but I also know that like they're just not a good football team. 
I mean, they they have really good players on defense, but at the end of the day, those good players were there last year, and it's just not overall a very good team. Yep. And my, my biggest Cooper, thing is Amari Cooper. Cooper. Gonna be, yep. He's yeah. gonna be out. Yep. So yeah. We'll, we'll see what the offense looks like. Take a look at it on Monday night, and then we'll get back on Thursday, and we'll preview the matchup on the road against the Cleveland Browns for the Tennessee Titans going for their... The Browns are also not playing a good team, by the way. So like, yes, it's That's kinda, true. That's true. <laughs> it's kind of like, what can you take away from these last two weeks? Knock off 30% of their production, and that's the, that's the reality. Yeah. Uh, either way, take a look at it, and then we'll be back on Thursday to, of course, preview that matchup where the Titans could have a winning streak for the first time in a very long time. So uh, we'll, we'll do that on Thursday, of course. All right, let's jump into the SEC here. And I guess we'll just start with Tennessee. And we can we can add a bunch of teams, but this, the theme of the week for me was just the ball shit down their leg. Um, F- Florida was excellent at running the football. They had a very good game plan in the first half. And I'll give them credit for, for their attention to detail, the pre-snap motions, all the stuff we talked about, why Anthony Richardson was prepared to start is what you saw very confused the Tennessee volunteer defense in Gainesville on, on Saturday, but, but, and they didn't tackle particularly well, but that was not the reason they lost. In my opinion, the reason they lost is they, they lacked any and all composure. They could not stay in line pre-snap. Joe Milton had no control over the football game. Uh, yeah, there was a couple of questionable calls in the second half, but they didn't lead directly to points. Um, to me, that was the Tennessee balls did what they couldn't do to go down there and win. That was make a bunch of self-inflicted, dumb mistakes, not handle the atmosphere, not handle the situation, not understand who you're going up against. And I don't think they did any of that stuff. And Joe Milton did not look like he was in control of a football game, in my opinion. So. Uh, it's almost like that's something that we've been talking about all year is about Joe Milton is just, he's going to, he's going to, he's a great fantasy football quarterback. But he's not—he's not a quarterback that's going to win you a lot of games, right? Like if, when if mm-hmm. things get going tough, tough gets going, and he gets going the wrong direction. The my my big thing with—I watched that entire game because you know the Alabama game, they won. It wasn't pretty. It was very confusing, and I have stuff I want to talk about that on Thursday's show. I don't want to you know get into it on this show, <laughs> but it was very a very confusing game. They won. But watching the University of Tennessee go into Florida, just lose, like you said, I think that's the best way to put it, lost all their composure, all their confidence against the Florida, that Florida team, and just letting Pearsall just go all the way around on them. Uh, I mean, that the, the ETN was driving. E- ETN, like, ETN was great. ETN was I awesome. Mean, it was just, yeah. it was a joy to watch. I mean, like, I don't know if I'm supposed to be objective at this part of the show. It's okay. I fucking, I would bathe if I could. If I could bathe in that that film, I'd bathe in it. If I could, if I could drink it, if I could, <laughs> if I could put it Squeeze that it film and build and have a third dog. If like, if I could get a turn that dog that film into a French bulldog, it'd be my favorite out of all three dogs because it was so it was number one. Okay, number one. It was, it was well, the. Big, old- the only thing that made Tennessee fans happier, of course, on Saturday is watching Tommy Reese operate as the Alabama offensive coordinator. So uh, it's about the only thing. Jalen Milrow is the fucking starter, dude. Stop. Stop it. Tyler Buckner's not the starter. Tyson I, I'm with you. I, I do not get why Stop they it. decided to bench him because I didn't think that Jalen Milrow was a problem understand. versus Texas. So Tom, No, he made some mistakes against Texas, but that is that he was not the reason they lost that football game. Tommy Reese has major questions to answer as the offensive coordinator, 
at Alabama. Also, Mississippi State, you kind of shit down your leg. You weren't even competitive. Arkansas, you had a lead uh, and so then you blew it. In Mississippi State against Arkansas, shit down their leg. You just don't. You don't look like you have much juice left. At Georgia Arkansas. didn't look great against South Carolina. Like this is a. This is what I'm saying. Vanderbilt situation in the SEC. Vanderbilt has a tie game with UNLV on their own side of the field with like no time remaining. And they let a player get behind them for a game winning field goal at the end of regulation shit down their leg Vanderbilt, all these teams, the teams that looked very good, Florida looked composed. They didn't look great, but they looked composed. I give them credit. LSU looked like they were bounced. They have fully bounced back. From I think that is the most State. boring fucking offense to watch, by the way, uh, is death by a thousand completions, like all short completions. It was like, uh, Which team, LSU? And, yeah, it was yeah. 2002 uh, Tom Brady Patriots offense. Like, it was just like dink and dunk, dink and dunk. So easy. Like, I was so disappointed in Mississippi State. LSU had such an easy game plan that they could enforce. And all they had to do is just like, oh, well, you're open over here. Here's three yards. Here's four yards. Here's five yards. Like, give yeah. me a break. Uh, that game was boring as hell. Yeah. We it was, and un unfortunately, we have a lot to look forward to on Thursday because Tennessee, Texas, Texas, San Antonio is not a, a bad game for Tennessee, and it is a critical bounce back situation for them at home. Uh, Ole Miss, they have the number one offense in the SEC right now. They're the one team that's scoring a bunch of points, averaging over eight yards of play. They beat Georgia Tech at home. They will go to Tuscaloosa, where they have won one time since 1988. They are fifth. They are one and fifteen in Tuscaloosa. So if Alabama loses this one. Uh, and the only time they lost, by the way, was the time that Ole Miss had five turnovers, forced five turnovers, four of which were like deep in Alabama territory. That was the very crazy Hugh Freeze game, uh, not the Dr. Bo game, but the Chad Kelly game. Uh, and then so the, the one team that I thought was the biggest winner at Florida was a big winner. LSU was a nice winner. I think the, the obviously Missouri was, with a huge win at home. As we said last week, Vegas knows something that we don't. Um, 61 yard walk off field goal <laughs> against an arch rival. They've played almost a hundred times. If you don't know the history of that rivalry, and uh, that's a that's a big win for Eli Drinkowitz and Mizzou to beat Kansas State, the defending Big 12 champs, at home on a game winning field goal. So, look, lots of drama in the conference. Lots of really great football games. You got AM and Auburn coming up this weekend. That's going to be a really good football game. But right now, if you told me Georgia and LSU were the best two teams. And I told you Vanderbilt was the worst team. I think you can make an argument that three through 13 are basically all the same. So, so uh, and that does include your Crimson Tide. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. see. I think, I think there's a game plan brewing. I think there's uh there's something coming on the horizon. I, 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 I believe that Nick Saban could do that. I don't know if Tommy Reese can do that right now. I, Tommy, I, I don't think it's going to matter what Tommy Reese wants anymore. <laughs> I, I think you, I think that's, I think we're saying the same thing. <laughs> uh, if Tommy Reese is, is still living and breathing at the end of this, this Saturday night, we'll, we'll see if he's allowed to coordinate things. He's tied up with Tommy. DeMar Hamlin somewhere. And then now there's a Tommy Reese clone and a DeMar Hamlin clone just in, in America. Unbelievable. So uh, huge. I'm trying to think if we missed anything. I mean, again, really disappointing for Arkansas. We'll get it. Tennessee's got AFC a bounce South, back. Not good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there, yeah. There's there's the one takeaway from uh, my overarching takeaway of the NFL. Uh, AFC South, not good. Uh, and then I would come around to the SEC and say, Tommy Reese, not good. <laughs> Quarterbacks and offenses in the Ooh. SEC. Not maybe not good. Yeah, Although, I, could, uh, hey, Great news for college football playoffs, though. 
Even right. if the Alabama or Georgia does not make in, and then we ha- and then it's it's always nice to let other people win some. My my final four predictions before the season started were Georgia, Florida State, Penn State, and USC. Three new teams to get in. Still feeling good about you think even if Georgia is not very good, I think they could get in. Kind of like struggle. They just are they getting in as the fourth seed though? Like that's kind of what I wonder. I, I mean, the question is how good can LSU get by the end of the year or Bama? I, I just don't think either one of them, regardless of how things progress throughout the course of the year, is going to be good enough to beat them. But again, we only have one real football game and they struggled against South Carolina. They also went 24 to nothing or 21 to nothing in the second half, pitched a shutout and won easily uh, in the second half at home against an SEC team. So I, I don't like we'll see. I think Georgia, Georgia has a road trip to Auburn coming up in a couple of weeks, which is interesting. Uh, they got Kentucky at home. They got Ole Miss at home, and then the road trip to Tennessee. So there's they got Florida, right? So like the schedule's got some tough games, and if they're not elite, they could lose. But I still think you've got to pick Georgia to to win the SEC. And if you win the SEC with one loss, even you're going to make the playoff. So um, I we'll see about you know. I think the Pac-12 is just. Have you seen the schedule for this week? It is it's uh, not th- yet. It is three undefeated ranked matchups. In the in the Pac-12. Oh wow, it's nuts! That could be some exciting football it's right nuts. there. It's nuts. Uh, please don't say Texas San Antonio. National media should say UTSA. Uh, in this case, I think I count as both, right? Like this is yeah. a local show, but I work for ESPN and Athlon, so you can. I've well. always I've always said UTSA, but I just kind of got stuck saying Texas San Antonio. So my bad. Let's hope Frank Harris, the quarterback for UTSA, is back on the starting back in the field. Um, yeah. I mean, hang on. Let me look up the backup's name real fast because the backup's name is like straight out of a like a Billy Bob Thornton Friday Night Lights <laughs> kind of deal. Uh, bear with me here. I'm going to see if I can find the name of the quarterback. <laughs> say say words. Uh, Eddie Lee Marburger. <laughs> the guy's name. Three words. Three words. Eddie Lee Marburger was the quarterback on Friday night for UTSA. <laughs> My God, what a great name! What a uh, name! Frank, they are one and two, by the way. But Frank Harris is the star quarterback who did not play on Friday. That's why they lost to Army. So we shall see. Uh, dangerous UTSA team coming into Neyland Stadium, and a desperate, desperate Tennessee team. Okay, anything else? Yes, Enrique Harris good. needs to be back. Uh, all right, uh, great stuff going, Marburger. We got one giant UTSA fan, <laughs> Enrique. Yeah, I guess comments. he's an alumni. I love it, dude. I love it. Good job. Uh, okay, otherwise, Sinkers Beverages, the Kingston Group, football and other F-words should be great this week, as it is every week. you got stackintheinbox.com, of course. And uh, don't forget about old Eddie Lee Marburger. Don't forget. <laughs> for Zach Lyons, I am Braden Gall. Thank you for listening. We will be back on Thursday. We'll talk to you then. Thanks, guys.